Presenting at conferences is often advice I give to emerging professionals who are interested in working in this field full-time. So in this episode, myself and Rich Keegan, a fellow trainer and experienced conference presenter, are going to give advice on how to present at conferences. There's always that piece around imposter syndrome about this idea of like, well, I have nothing to present on. And I just think that's honestly nonsense, right? Like, I think everyone has something to present on. Rich has presented at many, many, many conferences over the last few decades. So I'd love to tap into you on maybe your process about how you uh, prepare yourself to even submit a presentation. Yeah, I got to give a plug to Northeast AEE. Um, Over the years, I think that that conference in the spring for the Northeast region has been fabulous in giving college students and all of us a chance to prepare and uh, do workshops. I mean, that's where I cut my teeth to start with. And actually here at High Five at the symposiums um, were a chance for me to cut my teeth, so to speak, and begin to do some workshops and what are the most kindest, gentle people in the field are usually at those conferences. So if you make a mistake, move on for it and kind of go from there. So I mentioned about trying to solve a problem that I think's out there, and usually it's a problem that I may be having with my facilitation or just a, just a general thought about something. And then I oftentimes want to build a title about that, and the title has got to be something that I think's got to be interesting. And I, I I think a slight sense of humor is really important because it's a great way to catch somebody in their idea and what whether they want to come to your workshop. So it's it's got to be, I think, a, a pretty good name and also something that solves a problem. Yeah, I can add from, I've served on committees that have had the submissions come through. So I've gone through the workshop selection process on both ends. So submitting and also having to help pick uh, the ones for a conference. And I think that, the, yeah, you're hitting on two points. I think that one is clearly identifying what thing you're trying to solve and almost to the point where it's like i the advice i would give is think of maybe two polar opposite areas of a spectrum one what is something you are really really good at that you know in your work you're good at and then try to find what is the problem you're solving that inherently through that or maybe conversely like what is something in your work that you really struggle with and you have thought of another way to solve it absolutely those are something that would be like very eye-catching as you're reading that very clear description and this is something i'm solving and then you mentioned the name thing there is a reality that a name is going to be not only grab the attention of the person who's going to be selecting it but there's a little intentionality when people are picking workshops about how will this one draw the attention of the conference attendees? There's two parts to this for me, I think of. One, you're either going to pick a conference workshop name that is just to the point. No like nuance around it. There was one that I submitted one time called Games, Games, Games. There's no doubt what you're going to get. There's some. There's a level of humor there with it as well because it's just but – but I'm, but I'm telling you exactly what you're going to do. There was another one. This is uh, Chris Ortiz wrote this first, and I submitted a similar one. Activities you should know. But then the other thing is, is it going to be, is it 
catchy in some way because I have I have listened I have tried to look through ones that were a detailed look on the blah 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 and it's just like come on I've struggled with this even when I've written stuff sometimes that is the content of what I'm sharing going to be um, delegitimized by a goofy or maybe eye-catching name. And I think about, I think they're the other term, right? Like, I don't think it's an insult to me if I've got a really highbrow concept that I think is really worthwhile and I want people to go to, and then I put on a name that is, like, kind of silly. I think that that actually serves its purpose. You know, there is a reality to, you know, draw them in. It's like um, someone said to me recently, maybe it was someone in a podcast episode talked about the concept of you put the broccoli in the mac and cheese, AKA you put the really healthy thing wrapped in something that's unhealthy. So it's almost like that with the activity names, right? Like you hide in the intention, the deep meaningful intention of the work behind a name that will just bring people in. Yeah. I think one that comes to mind that Justin McLaren and I did was a trust with your eyes wide open. Because I was really questioning about how how beneficial it is to blindfold people to build trust. And that's been a tradition in our field for quite a while. But working with students, especially at the high school level and younger, blindfolding them, I think, was one of the number one ways. Talk about a facilitator failure to kind of blow up an activity or lose any trust you have at all. So I think that that was an example of a, a pretty good name for a workshop that was trying to solve a problem and I, th- I think was attention getting, I guess. I think that this is another thing that I, this is a piece of advice. People who listen into this who submit conference presentations will probably be shaking their heads as I say this, but you do not need to have the full workshop figured out before you submit. Yeah, you, that doesn't happen a whole lot. I, I, I can't remember yeah. that honestly, the last time I've had a full 90 minutes written out before I submitted right. the workshop. Uh, this is These are the things I think of. The name, yep. a description, yep. that's it. And then if it gets accepted, then you figure out the workshop. <laughs> but, and, it's, and I don't think yeah. there's any like smoke and mirrors behind this. I do think that there is a reality that you spe- you'll put more than likely in the first few workshops you're going to submit, you'll think of the entire 90 minutes, you'll put all the energy into it, you'll submit it, it won't get accepted. And then you what, right. like sit on this thing for ages? I think it's okay because you have a period of time between the submission acceptance and oh, the months, yeah, months, months and months to come up with something. I think it's I think it's okay to have a concept and then then flesh it out later on. I you know there's a level of like professionalism. I think that there is a certain point where the workshops do need to be professional, but at this cut if you're an emerging professional coming to this field, you do not need to have everything dialed before you submit it. Because I think what that does is it prevents you from coming up with anything. And you won't yeah, submit good point. it. I think it holds you back because you're like, you don't have anything. And then you're really stressed about not having something. You know, the workshop submission deadlines are months ahead of the work of the conference. There's so much pre-planning you have to do about even att- even if you're attending it. And then you'll, you'll rush this. You know, I would recommend, once again, you've got a either something you're really good at, something you, a problem you think you could solve, a description about what that is, and then a name. I think there's enough there that you could go on and make a workshop based on it. I don't think you need to have fleshed out the whole thing and then submit it. If it, if it gets accepted, that's where it becomes a little bit more real. And then you go through the process of coming up with some stuff 
um, and flesh it out. And then my advice on how a workshop should be structured, we are experiential educators, so we do a lot of activities-based things. Even if it's a higher concept, you know, um, that you can't think like, how would I do a 90-minute workshop that's activity-based? Do an activity, talk about it. Do an activity, talk about it. Do an activity, talk about it. If it's a 90-minute workshop, that's free 30 minutes, free activities, free discussion points. People will talk. You can always add more talk and more opportunity for discussion. Give them some question prompts and let them figure out, like, you know, just the activity kind of frames it. So as an example, I recently, and it was a previous episode, I did that boost one. All I had, in all honesty, this is behind the curtains of that workshop, I had 90 minutes, or no, it was 45, that was a shorter window, but I had 45 minutes, all I had was a topic, and the topic was connection. And so all I did, as I thought, I didn't really think about it until the time, and I thought of two connection activities I'd never done, and then let's talk about connection activities. That was, for me, one of my favorite things I've done in a while, that workshop, because that brought up some really good conversation. It brought up some great opportunity to discuss connection activities. We did two I'd never done before. And it was really fun. So I think that, that you know, I think that we can, we give ourselves, we put too much pressure on ourselves. I also want to get back to, a, we haven't really touched on, we, well, we mentioned about the name of a workshop, but I do think in your write-up, your description, it is helpful to really refer back to what the theme of the conference was and to build some of your wording and your description about that. I think that's always appreciated because I too have been on the other side of reading all these workshops and trying to decide which ones we think are good. So I think put some, some verbiage about how that's connecting to the overall theme of that particular uh, conference, I think is really important. And if they don't have a theme, then the audience, right? Exactly. which is, I think sometimes like people will cut and paste a workshop submission that they submitted for an outdoor education place and now they're submitting it for an after school program yeah. and it's like these two aren't the same so i think that there's something that there's always the detail of making sure you're aiming it towards the audience you're working with too another thought that just popped into my head as well is like the planning on the something i've seen in terms of like failures i see this both i've experienced this i've done this myself and then i've seen other people do it is that consider that you you feel the 90 minutes with like you in your agenda with so much stuff and you fail to get to it. And I think that then when you fail to get to it, the mistake, the mistake I think people make though is saying, if we had more time, I would have done this. Don't say that. I think that no one knew you, no one, you didn't submit your agenda. So no one knew that you'd not hit your mark, but what you should internalize and what I'll have internalized before is that, I always plan less. Less is more in a conference workshop. And the reason I think less is more is you could get, and this is the unknown scary part of conference workshops, is you could get five people or you could get 500. And so you should plan around activities that you could do with either or, but then know that if you've got a lot of people, add on 15 minutes of just time wasted in just transitions. It's like even getting the group quiet. If you give them a discussion point, you'd put a hand up to signal quiet. It's going to take you more than if it was 12 people. So there is always room for conversation. And then 
I think that, that that's okay. I'd rather you do that than squeeze in this last activity and rush and you don't get to reflect or talk about it. It's like, I've got this one more thing we're going to do. And you do this thing and it's like, oh, time, goodbye, everyone. Also, you know, if you think you have a good idea, you, sometimes people are, it's not going to be accepted, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't continue to submit those workshops. If you think you have a great idea and it's not accepted by one conference, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be submitting it somewhere else at, at another point. I mean, so I would have some confidence in that ability to say, okay, well, it didn't get accepted. Maybe I need to tweak it a little bit, but I want to continue to pursue this and present it at another conference. Well, that's, that's why I think that the Northeast, and hopefully it comes back at some point soon, and then the High Five Symposium, which will eventually come back at probably next year. Smaller ones like that, regional conferences are always going to accommodate newer professionals and newer presenters. The hard thing about those bigger conferences, you know you're going to probably get rejected at some point. I, I worked here five years, like five years in a row working at High Five as a trainer. I got rejected for AE International. AE International, folks, if you're listening, what was that about? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but there is a, there is a reality that I, there's, it just you're, you're grabbing from a bigger pool of people. Yeah. And so they're going to go for some more recognizable names because that makes sense. And so until you start to do more stuff, you just don't get noticed as much. And there are smaller ones are going to be more... They're also more um, welcoming to people. If you if if you're not hitting a professional level, then people will be much more accommodating. If you did that big one and you you kind of don't do a great job, you might get you know not uh, nicely reflected on in your evaluation forms, but and you may not get asked back. So there there are some of that reality. This is something I think that if I was in you know I'm not ACCTA or the, these bigger conferences. If I was on some of those committees, um, I would I would be advocating to say that there needs to be a track, a whole track of first time presenter. I did it at Northeast when I was the committee chair there because I I think that that's where I think those things are important. I just don't see them at the bigger ones. I think you see them at the smaller regionals. I think that's fine. I just think it would be nice. Because I do think that it's a certain step along your professional career when you end up presenting. I was fortunate. And maybe this is, an, maybe this is a piece of advice. Co-present with someone else for your first few. Because I did that for my first ones. My first presentation at ACCT was co-presenting. I think that was nice because it sort of, my name was in the, the agenda, in the brochure stuff. And I... I had the relaxation of leaning on somebody else. And I also leveraged those other people to help me get my name, get accepted. Because if I'd have got, if I'd have put myself out there on my own, I might not get accepted. And there is a reality that I am looking, you know, even if you tried to tell the committee to not look with the names in mind and just look up workshops, you're always going to accept the same people. There is a little bit of draw to trying to get people to register. That's a part of a workshop committee's job is to get registration numbers up. And you're going to get registration numbers up if you have big names presenting. That, that's a reality. So I think that there's there's just, a, you can't get around that. But I think co-leadership probably is helpful to be able to, I think, reflect back on myself. I've co-leaded the first four or so workshops before I ever did one on my own. The other, the only other thing I'm thinking of right now is if someone's listening to this, they're newer and they want to present something and they don't know, they want to help on thinking, they they just want some eyes on before maybe they submit it. 
you can always send it to me. You can direct message me on on our vertical playpen or send an email to podcast at highfiveadventure.org. I'm happy to look at them. You know, I can't guarantee they get accepted just because I look at them. But it's one of those like, but I do think that it's, but I would, but I would encourage people to submit. Some workshops get heavily inundated and, and a large percentage of people don't make the cut. But there are others that are really wanting more submissions. Like I've I've served on committees where every single person who submitted got accepted because we just didn't have enough. So so I think that that's, you know, um, and there are other, like if you're in the phys ed realm, there are all the phys ed smaller conferences. There are, those are smaller ones and those are perfect because you're, you're going to, you're also going to be presenting in small, in, in, front of smaller numbers initially you don't want your first workshop if you're never presented before you don't want to do your first one in front of a couple of hundred people that's completely different being in front of 150 people and how you manage that versus having 30 and that's a whole well well, let's let's talk about that too because i think that that's true i was actually reflecting i've said this to people here at high five it's not in a high five job description that you're going to be in presenting in front of a couple of hundred people. And there is a difference, a, re- a reality difference that it's, it's not transferable. Just because you're a great facilitator in front of 12 kids or 12 adults, to, to the idea to go in front in a big auditorium space and present in front of a couple of hundred, it, that is something I've had to cut my teeth off like over the last few years. And I think I'm good at it now, but I, I, I was terribly nervous. The performance-based issue is you talked about being nervous. I've always felt that that it's always, and even my own facilitation, it's, it's kind of a performance. I mean, I'm being true to myself, but sometimes I'm going to be better. Sometimes I'm not. And sometimes the uh, group, the audience is not going to react the way I think they would, just like any other presentation. So yeah, I think you have to be willing to stand up in front of your peers, which is different than people that would come to your course or students in your class. Because I've met some wonderful facilitators and teachers. I'm like, hey, why don't you present on this? This is great. They're like, there's no way I will ever do that and get up in front of people like that. And So I I think that's, that's something you have to consider as well. Yeah, it's certainly not, it's not the pathway for everyone, but I think that the benefit would be that once again, that co-leadership model would, would, would allow you at least to figure it out if you're going to like it or not. You know, even internally here, there are staff members here at High Five who do not want to present and that's, they, but they know because they've given that a go and I would have assumed I would have not enjoyed it, but I, I do really enjoy doing it. And I think that there is the benefit to the work and in our industry as well as like it gives a snapshot of the potential of our work in front of a large pool and it's a good case study for some activities you've never done like you know myself and ryan here at the symposium four years in a row did try something new it was a it was a, be- a wonderful test of, of vulnerability because we had to the concept was we were going to do a full and 90 minute workshop doing activities we had never done in front of anyone and it was perfect for that, but it was another lesson there was um, not only that, maybe we got to see some new activities, but it was also demonstrating once again that vulnerability for us who are professionals saying like, look, we also have to be vulnerable more often, but we co-led it. That was the other thing, right? Like I, I wouldn't, I myself on my own with my anxiety as it is, would never feel comfortable going in front of a group of a couple of hundred people and, and trying a bunch of brand new stuff. I talk about golden first activities. Most of the time, 
if I'm presenting, and this is where I lead in, I mentioned at the start, pick something you're really good at. I, I only pick activities that I know work. I'm not this high risk person who's going to go in front of a couple hundred people and then do a bunch of stuff I've never done before. Yeah. I'll have done it at uh, workshops or trainings. I would have repeated them several times and going like, okay, now it's ready to be in front of a bigger crowd. Absolutely. I feel like it, and it's sometimes hard to do that, but any of the workshops I've done, I don't think I really get them right to like four, five, six, seven. And maybe that's my own personality of wanting to try and make things as per- uh, perfect as possible. But it's rare that that first time out is the way I thought it would go, the way I wanted it to go. and But at least it pushed me to tr- try and do different things as well, getting out in front of people and trying to become a little bit more professional on the content you're trying to present. Because as I said, I'm trying to solve problems. So it's probably a problem some myself. So what a better way to figure that out and learn it through getting prepared for conferences. Hold, hold me to this, listeners. But I think that I want to interview a stand-up comedian. Because I think that this is a, as you sort of talk about, I talk about like this idea of like practicing with smaller groups. Every time I listen to a stand-up comedian talk about preparing for a concert or something or a big venue or a big tour, they talk about, or when they're filming a Netflix special, they talk about like going to smaller groups and trying things out. I think that that's what we need to do in for more often for like preparing for conferences is rather than feel rushed about a content, like actually just truly like practice it and do it a bunch of times and then and then the conference be the finale. Because I will admit, even being a, if I go to also being a attendee at a conference, I, unless it's very clear that they are, they're trying out a new activity with intent, I feel like it's a bit of a cop-out when they say, hey, I'm going to use the, I've never done this with a group before. Let me try this out. I, I'm like, I just, we just paid to come. Like I didn't pay to to see someone flop through activities that never work. Whereas, you know, as I talk, try something new, that's an intentional, I write it in and it's in the description. And I know I mentioned like not coming up with a full agenda, but as I hope that you're hearing as well, that you aren't going to then write a subscription description and a name without any thought about what activities you would run. I mean, like the agenda is something that you would figure out a later in terms of the minutia of the minutes. But I think that there is a certain point where you know some of the content you'll be doing, because as you stated, it's either something you know really well or something you need, you know, an area you think should improve or you just have a great opinion on. I think that that's the thing about, like you talked about the trustful with your eyes open, your opinion was that blindfold detract from abilities to do trust. And then the thing was, well, let's solve this by doing activities that require eyes open. Let's do this with this with the listeners here and now. Let's detail how they can actionable steps from this point. We've talked some greater things, but this is what I want you to do, listener. You're going to grab yourself a piece of paper. If you're driving a car, don't grab a piece of paper until you get to your destination or just pull over and do what you need to. But grab a piece of paper... And the first task, let's write down something you and your job, you know, that you're really good at. Maybe you're a really good technician at tying knots, if we go in that well, or maybe you're really good about uh, learning names, or maybe you're really good uh, energizing a group, or you may be a really good about drawing out the learning. 
There's some there's something you're good at. Whatever that is in your work, there's something you're good at. All right, that's topic number one. Now think of something you, you're kind of irritated with in your work, something that kind of annoys you. It's a problem for you. Maybe the, the gear shed isn't well organized and you think that there is a better way to do that. Or maybe you struggle to get harnesses on and you think like that, that you, you have an idea to make that more streamlined, whatever that is. That's another one. And then the last one is what's something you have a strong opinion about in this field. And, and, you know, like I, I talked about the last in the, in the boost one was that I think connection activities do not connect people. Like that was my statement of belief. What it, it doesn't even have to be a, you don't have to be right because what that does is then it cultivates conversation. And so each one of those, you've got those three now, each one of those is a workshop. So now what we need to do is flesh it out a little bit more. If there's something you're good at, what makes you good at it? And what are the strategies by which you do it? What are the activities you maybe do to learn people's names? If that was the name one, think about the things you dislike. Do you have a solution? What about it do you not like? Give an example of what you don't like and maybe supply some solutions. And then the opinion, say your opinion, demonstrate it with an activity and then poll the group. Do we have any differences? Because then you can do spectrum activities, take a stand activities. There's a lot of stuff you can do just to get based opinion on stuff. I think there are free act, free workshops there. I don't know what they are for each of you listening, but there's something there. Write them down and commit to submitting them. And you can click on any of the you know websites with with conferences that are coming up. If you've never done this before, click on the. AEE Association of Experiential Education conferences, and sometimes when they're when they're calling for proposals, you can take a look at that. It, it gives you an idea of the things that they're asking for. Yep. You know, size of the group that you can manage, learning outcomes, all those kinds of things. Just take a look at them beforehand, so you know what you're getting into. Yeah, I will say just on the from the perspective of filling in those forms, some of them can be so cumbersome and they take forever. So. Yeah, going on, having a look, knowing the questions, do a Google Doc or something and then plan it out, spend your time and then just copy and paste. That's probably your easiest bet on filling those in. The only thing I would add, and it's just something to be aware of, the process by which you submit, make sure you really check that it's normally not until the after the fact in terms of the acceptance. They'll normally send you a, you've been accepted and you then have to sign a contract. The idea of the contract often says that you have to attend and you have to be able to commit to attend. And if you if you sign the agreement and then you pull out, it could negatively impact your ability to go in again. Just be able to know that you don't have to have any plans in the submissions phase. You don't have to plan that you're going to attend. You'll have the opportunity when you get accepted to sign a contract. At that stage, you can say, actually, I don't want to. Don't worry about that point. But when that acceptance piece comes, you do need to be able to commit to be able to attend the workshop. Very often you might have a discount, but I still wouldn't allow that to prevent you from wanting to submit. I think the process of submission is a good lesson in itself. And even getting those rejection forms is not a terrible thing. And I still get rejected. So it's not like you're you're going to get to this point of, why, why am I getting rejected? I've been doing this 15 years. I got rejected. It's about like putting them out there. I mean, you, you may have an idea that may be a stretch for the overall conference. Maybe the conference is on diversity and you have some ideas about it, but it's a little bit of a stretch. It may not get accepted. So yeah, wow, we covered a ton. Thank you, Rich, for talking about conferences. If you took anything from this, 
please let me know. You can always reach out at Vertical Playpen on Instagram, or you can submit a question or a thought or a comment to podcast at highfiveadventure.org. That's an email address for you. Also, rate and review and share and all of the things because that is super helpful. I've mentioned on a few episodes, I'd love to see some more reviews. Um, we are tapped at 50. You have any more. So let's, uh, if you haven't done it, this is your moment. I could, I could sense this, I, you know, psychically allow this to be your moment right now. And uh, good karma will come your way if you do that. Uh, so I've heard. Without good karma, what do you got? Exactly. All right. Thanks, Rich. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playtime. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>